0: everyone. Welcome back to the How to Vegan podcast or welcome to the How to Vegan podcast if this is your very first time tuning in. My name is Kristen. I'm the host of this podcast and I'm really, really excited that you are listening to this episode today. It's going to be a really informative, eye-opening, just a great episode that I think needs to be out there so I'm really excited to be talking about this this stuff with you all today I've been so excited to record this episode and put it out there and it has just taken me a hot minute to do because life just life I could go into it and tell you all the things that have been going on in my life and why it's taken me so long to put this episode out but I don't think we need to do that so but I'm doing it I'm putting it out there and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I have been researching for this episode for months and months and months. It has been when I when I decided I wanted to do this episode, I was like, okay, I'll do a little bit of research. I had no idea that there was going to be this much to talk about and this much information to sort through. And there's so much out there about veganism and white supremacy. And it really blew my mind. And I would think I would be done researching and I would stumble across another article or another book or anything like that. And I would be like, okay, well, I've got to dive into this now. So it is just, it's there's so much information out there. I had no idea. So I'm so excited to share everything that I've learned with you because my mind was so blown when I when I realized the connections between veganism and white supremacy, and I think a lot of you are going to be pretty surprised as well because a lot of this information is not talked about in the white vegan sphere. So, and it needs to be. So, I'm really excited to be bringing this stuff to any of y'all's attention who doesn't know that this stuff is is going on and is happening. And I think it's just a great jumping off point to start talking about these issues and to start knowing what to do and to, to start making this something that is, is more well known because it needs to be. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this episode. So a few things before we begin this episode is for my white followers. This is not for any of my bipoc listeners. This is y'all know this information, maybe not all of it um, but this is this is a way for me to spread this information to white people listening to this episode because we are the people that need to be hearing this information so this is for my white followers. I think we all need to be talking about this a lot more. The information in this podcast is not my work. These are not my ideas. It is the work of BIPOC who have been doing this work and saying these things for years. I just took the time to do a bunch of research and dive into it all and share it with you guys. So again, this is not my work. These are not my ideas. I'm just compiling information that I have researched from Bipoc, so it's 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 not my work. A list of all of the resources that I used will be in the show notes. So if you're interested in knowing which articles I read, which videos I watched, which books I read, there will be a full list in the show notes, so that y'all know where this information came from and you can go support the people who who did this work. And there is still so much information that I want to consume. It, it felt like it was never ending. I felt like I could never stop researching and learning about these topics. So maybe I'll possibly do a follow-up episode at some point. Um, But there's still so much information out there. I had to like cut myself off and just stop and say, okay, I have the main things I want to talk about. I want to get the information out there. That is the most important thing, not making sure that it's perfect. I'm definitely a perfectionist and I want things to be perfect, but I think getting the information out there sooner than later is more important than having things be absolutely 100% researched till, till they can't be researched anymore and put together so perfectly. That's just, that doesn't really help as much as just getting the information out there. So keep that in mind. If I say something that is incorrect, please send me a message or email me and call me out. Like I am prepared to be called out. So please do so. Don't think like, Yeah, just I'm prepared to be called out because I am sure that I'm going to get something wrong or say something that's possibly incorrect or not in the right way. I'm ready to be called out and all white people should be ready to be called out. So please do that if you think that it needs to be done. Because I would rather say something and get it wrong or really wrong than continue to uphold oppressive systems because silence really, truly is violence. Not saying anything is violence. It it perpetuates oppressive systems and violence. So I want to say something. I want to get the information out there. It's also not enough to just say I'm not racist. We have to be anti-racist. And that is a set of actions. It's not just a belief you have. It's doing something. And this is my way of beginning to do something, my small way of starting to begin to do something to to really be anti-racist, because it's really important that all of us are focused on being anti-racist, not just not racist these days. Well, forever, but it's really becoming something that is very apparent to me that we need to be practicing. And some of you are probably thinking, why should I be listening to a white person talk about these issues? And to be honest, I thought about asking one of my Black or BIPOC friends, To help with the episode or to like be a guest, I thought like, oh, maybe a conversation. They can come on the episode, be a guest. We can have a conversation about it. But educating white people on these topics can be really draining and it just isn't their job to do. It's emotionally taxing. They've done enough work. They've put enough out there. It really isn't their job to do to educate white people on these issues. The information's out there. White people need to be the ones that step up and do the research for themselves and help to educate other white people about these topics so that we can all do better. And I really don't want to center white voices in this episode because it is far more important to amplify BIPOC voices who have already been doing this activism work for a long time. So I will also leave a list of resources in the show notes Um, with a list of people to follow to read to listen to to support very important to to listen to BIPOC voices so I found a lot of people that I think are really great to follow always respect their spaces that is so important but I'll leave a list of of people that I think are worth following in the show notes and after you listen to this episode have those uncomfortable conversations with your white family and friends. Take the stuff that you learn in this episode and talk about it because that really is the only way that things are going to get done if more and more people know about this stuff and talk about this stuff and change can start to be made. So the more people that are talking about this, the better. So having uncomfortable conversations is, again, one of the small things that you can do to, to help further the BLM movement and to help decenter white veganism and do the work like do the work in all capital letters do the work it's not enough to just engage in performative activism or virtual activism by just sharing posts on Instagram like do the work it's it is so important to make sure that you are doing the work and i'm going to have some stuff that we can do later like things that we can actually do later on in the episode. I've got kind of like I finish up the episode with a list of things that with some ideas of things that we can actually do, but do the work. And I'll also be leaving my Venmo handle in the show notes. If you want to donate some money to the Black Lives Matter movement or to some black vegan movements, then I will be donating any and all funds sent to my Venmo with the note BLM accordingly. So if you're interested in donating some money, that would be amazing as well. So a little bit of why and how I got into even exploring this topic, like why is she doing an episode on veganism and white supremacy? I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, last year, around this time, a little earlier, the whole Black Lives Matter movement was really taking off and my eyes were so opened. I realized how privileged I was and how how much work needs to be done in order to open people's eyes and really start to make some change. And this topic kept popping up in my Instagram feed. And I kept seeing influencers, I guess, I don't know if they want to be called influencers, but um, BIPOC influencers, we'll say, talking about veganism and white supremacy. And I was so blown away. And it was like, oh, this all makes so much sense. And I knew I wanted to do an episode on it. So I read Me and White Supremacy. So eye-opening. If you have not read that book, please read that book. I watched several documentaries on Netflix. I kept listening to BIPOC. And I just really recognized that white veganism existed. Because before that, i if somebody would have said that, I probably would have been like, that, you know, race has nothing to do with veganism. And veganism is about the animals not racism or not you know just those common things that come to your head if you haven't been if your eyes haven't been opened up to this stuff but once I started doing some research I was like oh wow I need to talk about this so here we are let's start talking about it so white veganism again a term that I would have been like white veganism that just doesn't even need to be talked about in any sort of a sense but it really does so what is white veganism? It's taking veganism, which is about reducing harm and reducing cruelty as much as possible, and making it a single focused issue, which is focused only on the welfare of animals. Which I totally get it. That's how I was brought into veganism: was the animals. It's like, well, I'm doing this for the animals. It, that is what veganism is technically about by definition. But human beings are animals, and white veganism just completely disregards the welfare of human beings, typically BIPOC human beings. White veganism values animal lives above human lives. And white veganism makes the assumption that everyone can go vegan, which is a privileged belief. As white vegans, we need to recognize and talk about the fact that not everyone can go vegan. It just might not be accessible due to a lack of access to healthy food for example it might not be affordable and yeah veganism can be extremely affordable but if you don't have the time to cook all of your food from scratch then it might not be that affordable White veganism ignores the fact that food deserts exist, and upholders of white veganism advocate for one marginalized group. In the case of veganism, it's non-human animals, but they fail to extend that same love and that same compassion to other marginalized groups of humans, humans who don't even have their basic needs met. And trying to convince people who don't even have their basic needs met to go vegan again is a privilege and it's a privilege that white wealthy people usually have and never have to worry about which is why it can be easy to think everyone can go vegan i used to think that oh everyone should be able to go vegan like you know i used to go to protests and rallies and have signs that say go vegan And now I say, please consider going vegan if you can, because not everyone has the opportunity or the privilege or the access to go 100% vegan. And trying to convince people to go 100% vegan by shaming them is another way that white veganism is upheld, like shaming people who eat at non-vegan restaurants or shaming people who purchase leather or wool at secondhand stores. And when the issues with white veganism are brought up, many white vegans will say that these topics are divisive or it's taking away from the animals, when in reality, the opposite is true. This type of white veganism creates barriers against veganism. It paints veganism as being racist, inherently racist because BIPOC and people who actually give a shit about BIPOC are not going to feel welcome into a community that is inherently racist. So upholders of white veganism are really just pushing people away and making it so that more and more animals are harmed in the end because of people shunning veganism. If you're feeling like you're not welcome into a group of people, then you're not going to be supporting the movement. And that's, that's not what vegans want, vegans want as many people as possible to not be consuming animals, so we should be welcoming in all people and be listening to what they have to say um, so that eventually the movement grows and grows and grows. Another huge issue with white veganism is that it centers mostly white, able-bodied, thin women. Just do a quick Google search for vegan person and you'll see what I'm talking about. It is overwhelmingly white, thin women. And when a movement does that, when it centers one type of person, other people are left behind, people that could ultimately help the movement. And despite the fact that the vegan movement is supported and advanced very heavily by BIPOC, mainstream veganism, which is a veganism we see all the time on social media and elsewhere, is overwhelmingly white and inaccessible to... People who aren't white and who aren't privileged. White veganism is complicit in maintaining white supremacy in our food systems and just the world in general. And we're going to be talking about the ways this happens in depth in this episode. This is just kind of like a little intro into white veganism. We're going to be going in depth in a lot of these topics throughout the episode. So this isn't just like me rattling these things off and you're like, what is she talking about? These are just this is just kind of an overview of white veganism and why it's harmful and why. These issues need to be talked about further. So a lot of this stuff that I'm mentioning, we're going to be talking about in much more depth. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But white veganism is, is actually rooted in white supremacy. And because of that, it completely disregards marginalized vegan voices and centers white vegan voices and creates white saviors, people who are like, I am doing this amazing thing for the animals, and I feel so good about myself when, in fact, white vegans and people who uphold white veganism are actually harming so much more than they're even realizing. Veganism is 100% not an isolated topic that isn't related to any other issue, no matter what you think. If you're like, I'm vegan for the animals, that's it, done, don't talk to me about anything else. It's not an isolated topic. Veganism is connected to so many other topics and so many other forms of oppression and by undoing these other forms of oppression and by and by realizing their interconnections we can further the vegan movement which is why it is so important whether or not you think this shit matters or not to pay attention to what I'm saying to to pay attention to what other BIPOC vegans are saying because ultimately even if you believe that it's just about the animals this will help the animals so even if you're still like, this is bullshit, whatever, you're just talking out your ass, one, no, I'm not. And two, the further you help other oppressions end, the the more you focus on ending other oppression, the movement to liberate animals will be moved along quicker and, and less and less animals will be harmed. And it's, it's so interesting that vegans will easily spend money easily for a product that says vegan on it. They're just like, yep, I'll get that, that's vegan that's cruelty free great but they don't even think twice about the other ingredients in the product things like palm oil that are destroying the environment that push animals out of their natural living spaces or other ingredients that are made in a sweatshop where the workers are treated so unethically and 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 the the production of the ingredients participates in the destruction of the environment around them which ends up disproportionately affecting the population of those on a lower socioeconomic level, typically BIPOC as well. These things are very obviously cruel, but vegans will still claim that they are cruelty-free, in quotes. And again, they don't even think twice about how else this vegan product could be cruel in other ways. And sometimes it's so much worse than then you could even think, you know, oh, this is vegan, it's cruelty-free. But the way that these other ingredients are harvested or produced are so cruel. And that's white veganism right there. White veganism is not cruelty-free. I don't use that term ever anymore. I used to use cruelty-free all the time. I never use that because most vegan products are produced in a way that is somehow cruel whether it's to animals or other human beings on the planet. And bottom line, white veganism is dangerous. That might sound like a big statement. That might sound like, whoa, white veganism is dangerous. And it's dangerous for multiple reasons. And all of these reasons we're going to be diving into in this episode. It's dangerous because it pushes the idea that veganism was created by white people. It compares human rights movements to animal rights movements in ways that are just beyond awful. It disregards BIPOC vegans, even though they are growing at rates much higher than white vegans. It's embedded with anti-blackness. It's full of performative activism. It fails to acknowledge the racist happenings in and around slaughterhouses and meatpacking plants. It fails to acknowledge the fact that access to healthy food is not a privilege that everyone enjoys it appropriates the plant-based foods of other cultures and it actively ignores the effects of colonization and how it is interconnected in the oppression of humans and animals so to put it bluntly animal liberation cannot and will not succeed through white veganism alone. No matter how much you think you're going to convert the entire world to veganism through your single-minded focus on the animals, it is not going to work. You cannot just focus on the animals and say this is going to work while you're completely disregarding human beings and how they're treated in the production of your food. It's not going to happen. Okay, so let's dive a little deeper into some of these topics. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that The vegan community seems to be focused on a single group of oppressed, the animals. Many vegans believe that human rights issues shouldn't be talked about when discussing veganism because they have nothing to do with veganism or that talking about movements like the Black Lives Matter movements takes away from the animals. Again, it's all about the animals to people who uphold white veganism. Most of the vegan platforms, at least the bigger ones that you see everywhere, prioritize animal welfare over that of human welfare, including the welfare of the humans that produce the food that they're consuming, which is just outright racist. To not even care about the humans that are producing your food, but to be like, well, no animals were harmed, so I'm fine, is just racist, bottom line. White veganism allows things like racism and transphobia and ableism um, and weightism and things like that to thrive in the vegan movement to liberate animals because they're saying it's for the animals. So who cares if all that other stuff is going on? I'm only focused on the animals. But an animals-only ideology is not consistent with the morals, these, these compassionate morals that vegans believe they have be, because they're unwilling to look at and challenge cruelty across the board. If you are wanting to live a cruelty-free lifestyle, why don't you care about the cruel things that are happening to humans. And most white vegans just aren't aware of the systemic roots that speciesism shares with other outcomes of oppression, which is a huge reason why they really have a hard time aligning with other social justice movements, but they are connected in so many ways. I highly recommend taking a look at the oppression tree by the vegan amateur It kind of lays out how all of these things are connected and rooted by white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and colonialism. And then kind of the ideologies and institutions that stem from those, things like government and education, prison, et cetera. And then the things that even branch out further from those, like sexism, classism, speciesism, food insecurity, racism, Eurocentrism, ageism... I could go on and on. Take a look at the oppression tree. I will definitely leave a link to it in the show notes because it was really eye opening to me that all of these outcomes and impacts of oppression really stem from kind of these same four things, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism and colonialism. They're all connected. You just have to trace them back. And if we can if we can dismantle those four things, then we're on our way to liberating animals, which again, if that is your main reason for being vegan, then why not? Why not work to dismantle all of this so that animals can be liberated? In the words of Demi Colleen, who is a veterinary nurse and vegan influencer, veganism can only be about the liberation of animals when it also stops the oppression of people. And like I mentioned before, veganism was not started by white people. That's what I thought, but it is not a white thing despite what you may have been led to believe. And it's not a new thing either. Even though the main Images, the main people of the movement, a.k.a. the ones who have the most followers who then work with like the biggest brands and companies are usually white. Like I said, white, thin, muscly women who do yoga in Bali. And if you like I said, if you Google the term vegan person, you will just see a ton of pictures of The kinds of people that I just mentioned, but veganism has its roots in so many other cultures around the world. And I honestly was not aware of this until recently. I honestly thought it was like a white movement that we were then spreading around the world, which is exactly what a lot of people want you to believe, but that's not the case. And it's not okay that that not very many people are aware. At its very core, veganism is a BIPOC practice that is rooted in their deep cultural experiences. So what is the history of veganism? Well, the word vegan was coined by a white dude just 77 years ago but its roots go back much further to cultures in ancient india and asia veganism seems to have been originated in religions like buddhism and jainism and hinduism as early as the seventh century bc many of their followers lived a lifestyle that included like non-harming non-killing or non-animal diets they disdain violence toward animals and this way of eating that stemmed from these religions went on to influence diets in the rest of asia as well as parts of europe and many members of the rastafarian religion which originated in jamaica about a century ago adhere to a plant-based diet as well known as ital they generally consume only natural plant-based foods taoists in china are generally vegan or vegetarian in order to minimize harm to other sentient life. And the nation of Islam promotes vegetarianism, deeming it the most healthful and virtuous way to eat. So you can see that veganism and vegetarianism focused on not harming animals in particular, is not a new thing. And it's definitely not a white thing, which might come as a surprise to many white vegans or people who aren't vegan at all. Because present-day veganism and the way mainstream veganism is portrayed has been created by white people overpowering white voices who appropriate BIPOC's culture. It has been completely rebranded and it's been a completely whitewashed trend and the history of veganism or plant-based eating has been just completely like swept under the rug and hidden and overpowered by by white veganism. And the trend as it is now, the growing trend of white veganism perpetuates the idea that veganism is only about health and wealth and being white while being vegan. It perpetuates the idea of white saviorism as well. And the definition of white savior is a white person who provides help to non-white people or in this case non-human animals in a self-serving manner. So a lot of people are vegan because it makes them feel better about not consuming animals, not because they truly care about being as cruelty-free as possible. It it, it makes them feel good about doing something. Um, kind of similar to people, white people who travel to Africa and are like, here, I'm here to help. I'm a white person. I have all the answers. Let me help you without really doing the research and seeing if there's other ways that can be helped instead of just white people who want to do it to make themselves feel good. So it's up to people with a platform to highlight the diversity of plant-based diets and the fact that it is not just a white thing. It's up to people with a platform, which is pretty much every single one of us these days, to show that a lot of dishes from around the world are already plant-based. That is just one way to show BIPOC that veganism doesn't have to be super intimidating or something that isn't accessible something that isn't attainable. It's just another way to show that there is more than just the whitewashed veganism out there. And like I mentioned before, BIPOC are actually going vegan at faster rates than white people are. Only around 3% of people in the United States are currently vegan. But that number jumps up to 8% of Black Americans who identify as vegan. In 2020, 19% of white people claim to be eating less meat. And in that same year, in 2020, that number jumped up to 31% for black Americans. That means that black people living in the United States are three times more likely to go vegan slash plant based than any other group of group of Americans. They are they currently make up the fastest growing vegan demographic. And overwhelmingly, they cite their health as a main motivating factor for their change to more plant based diet, much more than for the environment or for the animals they're eating plants at a higher rate for their health because many of them have seen their parents deal with poor health due to lifestyle decisions as well as lack of access to healthy foods. BIPOC communities have higher rates of obesity, have higher rates of cancer and diabetes and asthma, and this is in part due to BIPOC having lower incomes. That combined with systemic racism Systemic racism in the food systems, as well as systemic racism in the healthcare systems, that make it harder for BIPOC to access healthy food and quality healthcare, something that we all should have access to. Health issues due to lifestyle decisions such as heart disease and diabetes and cancer are much more prevalent in lower socioeconomic communities and BIPOC communities. And this is partly by design, not because of the people who live there making these intentional choices to be unhealthy. Our government is doing a really shitty job of taking care of the people living in this country. Like, just an absolute, utter, shitty-ass job. The majority of health guidance in this country is based on white European bodies, not African bodies, not other BIPOC bodies, where in Africa specifically, they mostly consumed goat's milk, not cow's milk. And most people of color, not just black people, are lactose intolerant, while most Europeans are not. And this clearly makes dairy products not a great choice for them to consume on a regular basis, if at all, because most of them are just not well suited to consume dairy and and the and ultimately the standard American diet but the US government tells us all that should we should be eating multiple servings of dairy a day and the US government supports the dairy industry in lots of ways through bailouts subsidies and they don't support small local organic farmers. They support the large, super shitty dairy conglomerates who treat animals and the people who work there like shit. So by going vegan or eating more plants or just adopting healthier ways of eating, BIPOC start to take matters into their own hands, which can be seen as another form of resistance or just going back to their roots, like we talked about earlier, because plant-based diets or diets full of vegetables and fruits and healthy whole foods is not a new thing for BIPOC. And on that note, we as white vegans need to stop appropriating the food of other cultures. We as white vegans need to start honoring and respecting the culture of the food that we're eating instead of whitewashing it and rebranding it as our own. The definition of cultural appropriation, if you are unaware, is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas, etc., of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. Almost every food mainstream vegans from the U.S. consume came from somewhere else. White vegans eat foods that originated in communities of color, and they hardly ever talk about it. Again, they rebrand it as their own. White people love appropriating other cultures' food and profiting from it. As white vegans, we need to stop trying to veganize ethnic recipes. It's important that these veganized recipes come from people of that ethnicity, not white people. When a white person creates recipes like Asian stir fry or African peanut stew, they're typically relying pretty heavily on racial stereotypes and hardly ever respecting the culture that the food originated from. They're just taking a recipe and whitewashing it and making it their own. This is cultural appropriation and I have totally done this in the past. I've totally made recipes similarly sounding to like Asian stir fry and stuff like that in the past without realizing the harm that that it was doing and how it's just not appropriate or respectful. Mainstream veganism continues to uphold white supremacy by appropriating black cultures to sell cookbooks and recipes. An example of this, an example of cultural appropriation in the white vegan community, for those of you like, give me a concrete example that I can understand, is the white-owned blog and cookbook Thug Kitchen. Super popular. If you've been vegan for any amount of time, you probably remember Thug Kitchen. Super popular. I actually hated all their recipes. I don't know. Every time I made a recipe out of that cookbook, I thought it tasted bad for some reason. But so many people loved their recipes and really liked their kind of like whole vibe i guess but they have faced years and years of consistent criticism for their use of anti-black stereotypes in their branding and they have also faced years and years of pressure to change the name of their brand away from thug kitchen and they finally finally changed their name to bad manners only because the most recent surge of the blm movement made it super apparent to more and more people how awful the previous branding was and they got so much pushback that they were like okay we're finally going to change our name which they should have done years ago years ago like the first time somebody brings it up to you like hey that is cultural appropriation it's inappropriate change your damn name if you're offending people of another culture who are calling you out do something about it don't wait till don't wait don't too little too late in my opinion too little too late And Eurocentric, plant-based accounts usually completely omit or don't even talk about or acknowledge at all the origins of the food they consume on a regular basis. I am at fault here too. This is something that I'm really wanting to work on, is talking about the origins of the food that I'm eating and sharing on my social media platforms. Foods like rice, quinoa, chia seeds, tofu, chickpeas, avocados, coconuts, yams, and Not only are they failing to talk about the origins of the food, but they also fail to talk about the people who cultivate these foods. Because plants like the ones that I just talked about are suddenly being mass produced to meet the demands of large corporate supermarkets who supply these foods in either their whole form or as products like coconut milk and hummus, which are popular with vegans. And they sell them to modern day Consumerists. The sudden rise in the consumption of these products means that the production of these products is changing very rapidly, which has a devastating effect on the price of these plants, the welfare of the farmers and the people who live on the land where this stuff is cultivated, and then the actual land itself. The current trend of this whitewashed brand of veganism puts animal lives, again, above human rights and the environment as well, which so many vegans are like, I'm vegan for the environment, I care about the environment, but then don't actually give a shit about what the consumption of these plants that they're eating on such a regular basis is doing to the environment. Most vegans never even think to question the working conditions of these farmers growing these foods or the minimal pay that they get for producing these foods. Again, this is racism to not even wonder how these human beings are being treated to just say, well, this is cruelty free because no animals were harmed, but humans are being harmed. BIPOC humans are being harmed and this is racism. So let's take quinoa, for example. Quinoa, as you probably know, because it's talked about all the time as a superfood, which is another whole episode in itself, is a high-protein, gluten-free grain. It's technically a seed, but it's classified as a whole grain that originated in South America. And it was a main staple of the Inca's diet. It was such an important food source to them that they called it the mother grain. And when Europeans came on over and conquered South America, they referred to quinoa as dirty Indian food and completely banned it from being cultivated. But, of course, you never hear about this. This super dark history of quinoa has been covered up and now they rebrand it as a superfood and the whole identity of it is gone. It's just a whitewashed superfood now that can be sold for profit. But quinoa continues to be a staple for indigenous populations. Bolivia and Peru produce around 75% of the global quinoa supply, but the crop's rise in popularity is creating barriers for local communities to access it themselves. The prices are so high that people living in the area where... Quinoa is produced, often cannot buy it themselves. They can't afford it. So they either have to eat other foods, and sometimes they even buy quinoa that is imported from somewhere else because it is cheaper. And that is so fucked up. And we did that. White people did that. It's so fucked up. Indigenous farms and farmers all over the world are now being completely exploited for foods that they once produced and consumed moderately, sustainably, and ethically. And a lot of it has to do with white veganism. So now let's talk about the animal rights and the human rights comparisons that we see all the time. And let's just talk about it. So one horrible and awful tactic that vegan companies and white vegan influencers use to provoke emotion in non-vegans to try to convert them into going vegan is to compare animal agriculture and like race-based genocides that have affected BIPOC so for example in 2003 PETA released an ad comparing the poultry industry so the chicken industry to the holocaust and they used super horrifying images of both like the poultry industry horrifying The Holocaust, horrifying. They use these images both side by side. And this is so offensive. It's disgusting. It is just not okay. It's just not okay. Another example for you. So shortly after the death of George Floyd last year, the vegan box, which is a vegan gift and subscription box, they posted a picture that had four black animals on it with the caption, just to be clear, all black lives matter. Again, this is just disgusting. It is not okay to use a human rights movement to promote veganism or your brand at all. Racist oppression is not an example to be exploited for the liberation of other animals, at least not in that way. The major motivation behind these types of comparisons is speciesism, which is the assumption of human superiority over animals leading to the exploitation of animals. And that leads to a major part of the, the vegan philosophy um, that animal lives are equal to human lives, that, that humans are not above animals, that we're all equal. But it doesn't matter. These types of advertisements are just wrong. BIPOC are hardly ever portrayed in large-scale vegan advertising, promotion or marketing or anything like that. And when they are portrayed, that's usually how it is as a metaphor for violence, for genocide, for murder. It's just not okay. Another huge issue with comparison campaigns like these is that they show these two issues as if they exist in completely different time periods, as if the Holocaust or overt racism or slavery are completely over and done with. But things like this still exist today. So portraying them as if they don't is hurtful and dehumanizing and ignorant and just wrong it makes these companies and influencers look fucking racist it looks it is racist and it's horrible and it's awful and it's it's just not okay if companies want to get their messages across they cannot keep isolating large parts of potential people who could be who might even consider going vegan Doing that is going to push people away from the vegan movement. Comparing animal lives to BIPOC lives turns people away from veganism. Again, people who could potentially go vegan and end up fighting for animal rights. It makes BIPOC who are already vegan feel even more unwelcome in the vegan community, even more out of place, even more like, why the fuck am I doing this? When I'm being, when this is how, this is what the advertisement is, is like in this in this movement it's it's just it's just wrong and on the other hand several prominent white vegans have chosen these historic times to compare animal lives with black lives and think that the black lives matter movement should include animal rights and i can see why there are there are some obvious connections between different forms of oppression like we talked about earlier things that stem everything all forms of oppression stem from colonialism, white supremacy, capitalism, and the damn patriarchy. So there are connections. There are going to be connections between all forms of oppression. The issue with BIPOC being lactose intolerant while our government pushes the consumption of dairy on them. The lack of access to healthy foods that mostly impact poorer and BIPOC communities. Immigrants disproportionately being exploited by the working conditions in slaughterhouses. But yes, Although these connections exist, which is why working to eliminate all forms of oppression is so important, it doesn't mean that white privileged vegans should ever compare BIPOC humans to animals in any context. The comparison of animal abuse to enslavement of black people makes it very clear how little value white vegans place on black life. It's just horrible. It's They're making it so obvious that vegan spaces are are racist spaces especially because white vegans have no fear of using these tactics and then they completely ignore any backlash from the communities that are affected by their actions and they say it's about the animals not about racism don't bring racism into the conversation about animals veganism is only about the animals but by having the choice to focus only on the animals and ignore the conversation about race is a privilege just like when people say oh i'm not into politics That is a fucking privilege to not have to worry about politics and how they affect your life. Oh my God, that is such a privilege. Recognize your privilege as a white vegan to be able to fight for animal rights without also having to fight for your own rights. Because how can you expect an entire group of oppressed people to fight for the animals when they have to work so hard to even exist and live and have a decent life in this country? When all humans have their basic needs met, when all humans are liberated from the fear of police and police violence and going to prison and just outright racism that, that shows itself in so many different scenarios in this country, we will all have more energy to fight for animal rights. Like I talked about briefly before, the fight for animals will be completely pointless as long as our own species has not achieved full equality. There is no way that our compassion as a society will be able to extend to animals before it extends to all humans. Yeah, some of you can be like, it's about the animals, animals, animals. But when so many people in our country don't have their basic needs met and are fighting just to live a decent life, There's no way those people are going to be able to fight for animals, especially if they don't have education about healthy foods, plant-based foods, access to healthy foods, etc. As white vegans, we need to call these comparisons out when we see them. It is not up to BIPOC to do the work to call out these companies and brands and individuals. We, as white vegans, need to step up. We need to do the work. We need to call people out when we see this happening. So do that. That is something that you can definitely do if, if you see it happening. Let's move on and talk about food deserts and other related issues. You've probably heard the term food desert. So let's kind of dive into that. I've already talked about how lack of access to healthy, nutritious, plant-based foods affects BIPOC disproportionately. So let's kind of like dive in a little bit further. White veganism has created this image of veganism as shopping exclusively at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and going to the farmer's market on the weekends and getting all of the like vegan alternatives and matcha and all of that stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is pretty much what you see and what so many people think veganism is about. But many vegans either forget or aren't aware that where you live contributes greatly to the accessibility of food that you have. So many people that are vegan live in places where they have abundant access to healthy foods, like I just mentioned, and aren't aware that not everybody lives that way, which again is a huge privilege that we need to recognize and talk about. There isn't always a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods or Farmer's Market every weekend in every community, especially in places like Reservations. Even in more urban settings and more urban areas, access to healthy food sources can be limited. So even if you're living in a city, it's like, well, you live in a city, you should have access to healthy foods. There are areas in cities and in rural areas as well that are often referred to as food deserts. If you don't know what a food desert is, the definition of a food desert is an urban area where most people live at least one mile from the nearest supermarket or large grocery store. And if you live in a rural area, it's 10 miles, which is a fucking long ass way from a grocery store. Um, But it's at least a mile in an urban area. So it's harder to access healthy whole foods. They are places where it's hard to find ingredients to make a healthy meal. Typically, it's like gas stations, convenience stores, and fast food restaurants are kind of like the only options that that some of these people have, they don't have grocery stores. Or if they do, they are like a Whole Foods where it's so expensive that how in the hell can you shop there? Like I'm privileged and I can hardly afford to shop at Whole Foods. Well, I can't afford to shop at Whole Foods. I can't buy everything there. It's way too expensive. And some people prefer to use the term food swamps instead of food desert, because it sounds like there's no available food at all, like just no food, but that isn't the case. There's food, it just typically isn't very healthy, or the healthy food isn't very accessible. And others prefer the term food apartheid to emphasize that the lack of access to healthy food is a result of structural inequities and deliberate resource allocation to exclude healthy food from communities of color and lower socioeconomic communities this term the term food apartheid is a critique of food swamp and food desert as inappropriate metaphors because these conditions are not natural in any way but a result of systemic racism and classism this isn't just like oh it's a food desert this is it just happened that way like this is a result of systemic racism Another term that I think is important to talk about here is the term food mirage, where high local grocery prices, not distance, prevent lower income people from affording healthy, nutritious food. So kind of like I was talking about, like, even if you plop a Whole Foods down in the middle of a community, not everyone can afford to shop there. It's so expensive that they might have access to it, but can't afford it. You can be surrounded by fancy markets and restaurants, but cheaper staples like rice and beans and fresh produce are harder to come by. And without a doubt, food deserts, food swamps, food apartheid, whatever you want to call it, disproportionately affect lower income and BIPOC communities. Again, by design. And mainstream white veganism continues to uphold white supremacy by gentrifying predominantly non-white communities to open white-owned and operated vegan restaurants. And gentrification is just another thing that just gets me fired up. It just is – it really pisses me off. This is gentrification at its finest. Imagine not only being kicked out of your long-term apartment that you've been renting or living in for years so some white rich dude can come in and completely renovate it to make some money, but then you can't even afford – to eat at the restaurant. You can't even afford to eat there. So you've been kicked out of your place. Oh, there's a vegan restaurant in your area now, but the salads are $18 and it's teeny and white people will be like, well, now these people have access to healthier food or now there's a whole foods in the area. Like y'all can afford the food like, wow, but no, you cannot afford. So many people cannot afford $18 for a teeny little salad or hundreds of hundreds of dollars a week on groceries from whole foods. And yeah, Whole Foods popping up in previous food deserts can be seen as a positive thing. And for some people, it definitely is. But when you can't even afford to shop there, what's the point? It's just going to drive people into the area that aren't from that area and will eventually push the people out who have been living there for years. It's happening over and over again all over the country. And white veganism ignores these issues. White veganism hardly, if ever, talks about food justice, food sovereignty. Hardly ever. Hardly ever talking about these issues. You just see it's all about the animals, animals, animals. It's a, white veganism doesn't care about this shit, and it's not okay. If you're unaware, food justice is communities exercising their rights to grow, sell, and eat healthy food. And food sovereignty is the rights of people, especially small, rural farmers, to define their own agricultural and food systems. With a focus on creating sustainable systems and healthy lives for people. Not just money and profit. And speaking of food sovereignty, this is another issue that needs to be talked about regarding traditional practices of hunting animals and using their parts for clothes, ceremonial pieces, etc. It is super privileged to expect indigenous cultures who have had their culture and way of life completely taken away from them. It's, it's privileged to expect them to conform even further to white ideas of what is right and wrong. And how they should express themselves, and what, what how they should live. This is a space where pushing veganism is just wrong and racist. That's that. Honestly, that could be a whole nother episode. So many of so much of this could be a whole nother episode because, yeah, I don't think that hunting animals is something I ever want to do. But who am I to tell an indigenous person who used to live here and and was at one with the land and not didn't have factory farms and and all of that shit? Why are who are we to tell them how to live? We've taken everything away from them. So saying you should be going vegan again is just another form of privileged white veganism. And if we're going to be talking about food injustice when it comes to BIPOC communities, we have to talk about how racism and capitalism are intertwined because the federal government is shacking up with the food industry, the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry. It's all about making money for all of them. It's about profit. And that's why they don't give a fuck about people. It's all about making money. They don't give a shit about us. And they really don't give a shit about BIPOC and any kind of like lower income communities. That's why it's cheaper to buy white bread, boxed mac and cheese, etc. Than it is to buy fresh fruits, produce, legumes, whole grains, healthy whole foods. Even though these are the foods that the government tells us to eat with their dietary guidelines, eat these whole fresh fruits and greens, this is what's on you know, the, pl- the plate that the government puts out. They're not the foods that the government are making cheap and affordable. There are not people lobbying for health food. 80% of food advertising on TV is for quote unquote junk food or processed food. Only 2% is for healthy healthy food. There's no money to be had in healthy food, and the government is is to fault for that. So solving food inequality in BIPOC communities is a crucial step to spreading veganism for everyone, to get more and more people to, to be able to go vegan and eat more plants. White vegans need to be bringing awareness to these issues, being sensitive about these issues and they need to stop assuming that just because they personally have access to healthy food that not everybody does. And we need to be doing something about these issues. We need to find ways to help in the area you live in, get involved, use social media to help find mutual aid systems in your area or collective kitchens, start a free eats project where maybe on the weekends you make food and give it away for free to communities who need it. I have a friend who did that in Boise and it was amazing. It's such a great idea. If you have the privilege and can help out, please do. At the very least, continue to educate yourself and talk about these issues instead of pretending like they don't exist. Okay, so now let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into slaughterhouses, the animal agriculture industry, meatpacking plants, etc. As terrible as factory farms, slaughterhouses, concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs, are for animals, they also have really devastating impacts on the lives of marginalized people. It's important to see the connection between the impact of factory farming on animals and the impact of factory farming on the people who actually work in these slaughterhouses and meatpacking plants, because many of the people who work these jobs are immigrants, undocumented immigrants, refugees, and BIPOC. And as white vegans, we hardly ever talk or hear people talking about the oppression of these workers. This was something to me that once I started learning about this, I was like, oh my god, how have I never even heard about this or thought about this? And there's, it was really, really eye-opening to do the research about this stuff. And so many people are like, oh my God, the people who work in these slaughterhouses have to be horrible, horrible people. But having only contempt for these people is white privilege in action. Most of them don't even really have another choice when it comes to a job. They're typically people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, and they're typically BIPOC who are pretty much forced to work a job that most people would never do themselves. I would never do it. People who even eat meat would never want to work in these slaughterhouses or meatpacking plants it's awful 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 work they come into close contact with toxic animal waste they witness the super cruel conditions of thousands of animals crammed into the CAFOs and the murder of these animals and the abuse and witnessing this and being a part of it takes its toll physiologically and worker safety is often completely overlooked at these facilities. They don't give a shit how safe these employees are on the job. But these people are just trying to survive. They're just trying to make ends meet. This The system is so stacked against them, they're just trying to survive and make a living. And like I said, I'm pretty sure that most people would never choose a job like this where they're murdering hundreds of animals a day. And because of that, they're at a higher risk for severe mental health issues. Another issue with animal agriculture is the location of the CAFOs and the impact that these CAFOs have on the people who live nearby. CAFOs tend to be strategically, very important, strategically located in poor, rural areas with neighboring communities comprised largely of BIPOC who lack the income and political resources to even oppose a CAFO moving in. You know, oh, this, this new CAFO is going to come to your area. Most people don't have the money to fight this, don't have the political resources to oppose this. So they get plopped down. And this hardly ever happens in like a white, privileged, higher socioeconomic community. It's typically in lower socioeconomic BIPOC communities. And in these CAFOs, irresponsibly managed waste poisons the air, the water, and the food supply of the people who live nearby because animal waste is stored in these like lagoons. If you ever look at an overhead picture of a CAFO, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's just like huge, wa- like it looks like lakes of animal waste. And then that animal waste is used as fertilizer for crops. And not only do these lagoons often leak, but this fertilizer is sprayed until the ground is oversaturated on these crops and the animal waste seeps into the groundwater which pollutes the groundwater, but eventually the streams and rivers and lakes that are nearby as well. And since the groundwater is polluted, the drinking water is polluted. And it's also full of antibiotics that the animals are pumped full of and then shit out and pee out. Um, And this causes major health issues, and it just completely fucks with their immune systems. And people living nearby CAFOs are much more likely to be infected with antibiotic-resistant bacteria because of this. Not only does the manure that is sprayed affect the groundwater. But because it's being sprayed into the air and some of it stays in the air, it affects people breathing, breathing in this air as well. So people living nearby are breathing in manure, essentially. So the air is just full of toxins and people that live nearby are inhaling these toxins daily and often suffer from long term illnesses that often lead to death because of this. And this, it smells horrible like it smells awful. Many people can't even leave the house. They're forced to just stay inside because who wants to smell shit air all day that makes you sick? So this leads to a low quality of life. A lot of times they can't even make it to work because they're so sick and property value is very low in these areas. So it just makes these lower socioeconomic groups of people, they're faced with even more economic hardship because of these KFOS. So not only are they lower socioeconomic anyway because of other reasons but they're now it's just compounding and compounding because these kfos are located nearby it's a never ending cycle and like i said it is by design they're not just placed randomly this is by design and it's fucking awful and the lack of money and resources that most of these people have like i said it makes it so they can't take any legal action against this this stuff not only to oppose them even being put there not to oppose the kfos being put near their homes but The sicknesses and all of the quality of life stuff, they can't take any legal action because they typically don't have enough money or resources. And our government, surprise, usually protects animal agriculture over individual human lives. That's just how that shit goes. Also, we need to stop saying that our vegan food is cruelty free unless it truly is. Our plant-based foods are anything but cruelty-free when you consider the farm workers who are horribly mistreated in most places where our food is produced. Many people around the globe today are pretty much enslaved by the fruit and vegetable industrial complex where the people who produce this food and grow this food are paid horribly minimal wages and are exposed to pesticides and other toxic substances which is not good for their their health long term they often develop deadly diseases over time it's also important to note that in some countries animals are even forced to pick our produce They're taken from their mothers. They're kept in chains, on leashes, because it's the cheapest labor you can find. You don't have to pay these animals. And so many vegans don't know that. Like, oh, I got this coconut milk, and it's cruelty-free. An animal could have picked that for you under horrible conditions. A person, a live human, could have been treated horribly and paid super minimal wages for you to get that coconut milk. And that's something that white veganism doesn't talk about. We need to expand our activism. We have to stand up for the animals and the people that are directly affected by factory farming of all sorts in the animal agriculture systems and in the systems that produce our produce and grains and nuts and seeds and all of that stuff. We need to be fighting for a system that doesn't force people into this type of work. The, the whole system needs to be burned down to the ground and started over because this shit is just not working out. We cannot end racism without ending or changing the industries that thrive on it. So another thing that white veganism never talks about really ever is the fact that the meat industry, the egg industry, the dairy industries, they exist because of colonialism. And colonialism is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. The industrialization of animal products, and really food in general, is deeply rooted in colonialism. The idea of animal being separate from human was a colonial invention that has been imposed on humans and animals. It's just been imposed on us, and that's just what we think. The human-animal binary. There's one, there's the other. There's humans, there's animals placed on this hierarchy of humans at the very top and animals at the very bottom, just like race was. This was this was constructed- and imposed on us, and if you aren't European and white, even more so male, then you're not the ideal way of being a human. So beginning to understand the human-animal binary And how it's been opposed on us and how that affects our idea of how we treat animals and then how we treat humans as well on that european hierarchy that we just live by without questioning it is a huge step towards advancing the liberation of all animals human and non-human and assuming animals are disposable is a product of being colonized colonialism is what brought many of the animals that people now eat to this land Animals like cows and chickens and pigs, none of these existed in the Americas before colonialism. Animal agriculture was the perfect tool for white European settlers to colonize and control the world. In fact, European colonization of North America would not have even been possible without animal agriculture because it resulted in a huge amount of land and a huge amount of resources to be taken up which forced the displacement of indigenous people as well as privatization of things like land and water, which we all know has proven to be working out so well. Not really. It has been working out well if you're white and wealthy, but otherwise not so much. And it completely destroyed the food sovereignty of anyone who tried to live outside of this colonial state. If you weren't In it, if you weren't in the colonial system, then you're just going to be fucked, which is how it was set up. Colonialism, industrialization, and capitalism led to and continue to lead to extremely negative environmental impacts, the abuse of animals, and unethical agricultural practices. So not even just animal agriculture, just producing agriculture in general. And not only does white veganism overlook the colonial legacies of the animal industries, the white popularization of eating vegan is now just shifting these unethical practices from animals to plants. So it's all just embedded in colonialism and it's not going away. It's just being shifted. So the more people that are eating vegan and not thinking about the way they're eating vegan, it's just all getting shifted onto plants settler colonialism and the establishment of capitalism was the precursor of unethical farming methods. Millions of people live with diseases that are a result of diets rich in meat, diets rich in genetically modified crops, monocropping, which is the practice of growing the same crop over and over on the same plot of land year after year which depletes the soil of nutrients and then the soil is less productive over time and it can and it causes erosion in the area. monocropping is horrible and all of these exist because of white colonialism So many people are trying to lead a more ethical lifestyle by getting rid of animal products on their plate and on what they're, you know, what on their, in their skincare, hair care, what they're wearing, but then they don't even give a shit about the humans that are being exploited in plant agriculture all over the world. So they're like, again, this is where that cruelty-free thing comes into play. Like, Oh, my plate is cruelty-free, but there's humans being exploited in the plants that you're eating. And a lot of people think they're living a completely cruelty-free lifestyle but completely ignore any kind of cultural sensitivities surrounding meat consumption. All of these things that white vegans ignore while feeling like true saviors while they're eating zero animals stems from white supremacy. White vegans, please do not demonize BIPOC who are not vegan while you just ignore the role of colonialism and imperialism in making popular meat and dairy consumption. We did that. We made this popular, we forced these people to eat this way, and demonizing them for not being vegan is fucked up. We practice a form of vegan colonialism when we talk down upon indigenous people who still eat animal products, or we try to convince them to go vegan. The issue isn't with their traditions. It's not with what they feel is right for them or how they live their lives. The issue is colonialism, and we forced this upon them. The way in which some cultures and religions eat meat are valid and sacred, and the way in which they hunt and eat these animals and consume all of their part, however they do it, is much better for the environment than monocropping and huge CAFOs. So if you're trying to impose your personal choice on BIPOC, your veganism has already taken on a form of colonialism. So again... If you're a white vegan, stop trying to tell everyone that they should go vegan without even understanding the intricacies and nuances of all of this, especially, especially colonialism, because we did this shit. We white people created this shitstorm and then trying to say, well, be vegan. We forced this way of living upon these people. So trying to now say, no, don't do that is fucked up. Really, realistically, the only way forward is to return indigenous lands to indigenous peoples. Bottom line, for so many things like that is just what needs to happen for this world to get back to how it should be. Otherwise, this shit's going to burn to the ground and we're all going to be done. We're all going to be gone, which maybe is what just what needs to happen in order for the earth to revive itself and to not just be a giant shitstorm of white people fucking everything up. And as long as we continue to overlook the fact that colonialism is a huge part of the problem, we will never liberate animals. And not just what colonization has done to the animals' bodies, like taking them away from their native lands, controlling them, keeping them captive in super restrictive areas. All of that just to serve our needs and our desires to consume meat and there's animal secretions, but the actual concepts that continue to keep colonialism going. Like I said, the ranking of all beings on this planet, the human animal binary that was invented by white men is the reason that speciesism and racism exist. And in many ways, one cannot exist without the other. If you have not read Afroism by Silco and Afco, please read that. That book was so eye-opening and so earth-shattered. It just just changed my mind and opened my mind about so many things, about this animal-human binary that was invented by white men and how speciesism and racism go hand in hand and how rethinking these concepts is what needs to be done in order to liberate animals and humans. So to stop the breeding of billions of animals every year, billions, if y'all don't know, billions of animals are bred for human consumption each year. European settler animal agriculture must be named, it must be acknowledged, it must be understood. This is a huge part of it and we as white vegans must be intentionally against this system. We have to be against colonialism and against this system it's created. The good thing is that the system is relatively new. It's only a few hundred years old. And because of that, it is weaker than it could be. So it can be undone. We, we can undo this. We can work to undo this. And not only is veganism connected to racism, it's connected to capitalism, it's connected to the patriarchy, all kinds of social inequality, and any steps to weaken any of these systems are steps taken to liberate animals. We cannot ignore these connections if we want to see all animals liberated, both human animals and non-human animals. The shit is connected, we have to work towards reducing all forms of oppression, or else all of it is for nothing, really. All of it is connected, and we have to work towards, towards eliminating all forms of oppression, which is why this is so important to talk about. I had no idea, honestly, before I started diving into this stuff, how connected all of it was and how much those systems have to be dismantled. And we have to work towards that. If you want animals to be liberated, we have to work towards dismantling all of those systems. Bottom line, if we want the oppression of animals to end, if we want animals to be liberated, we have to destabilize all forms of oppression that are embedded in white supremacist colonialism. Okay, so now let's talk about what we can do, what we should do as white vegans. Because like I said, as a movement that is completely grounded in compassion for living beings, veganism will only be about the liberation of animals when it also stops the oppression of people. Keep that in mind. Write that down. That is just like, that is just something that is just so true, and that white vegans fail to recognize. Because if entire groups of people and communities are not involved or accepted within the vegan movement, it's not going to go anywhere. If we're not extending the same compassion to members of our own human community, how are we in alignment with the values that veganism promotes? This cruelty free love and justice for all living beings, we're not even in alignment with that when we're not even helping other humans to live happy, healthy, just lives. Veganism should really be about the equal and respectful treatment of all living beings. And the first step is acknowledgement. It's educating yourself. It's doing some self-reflection because if white vegans can love cows and chickens and pigs, then they can and should love within their own species. If black vegans can recognize the interconnectedness of all forms of oppression, white vegans can too. Opening up the movement to go beyond animals, beyond the liberation of non-human animals will eventually help them. It's going to help the animals by building the movement's momentum and power. So if you've listened to me talk about all of this and you're still like, I don't give a fuck, it's all about the animals for me. Well, then you still have to give a shit because it's going to eventually help the animals by building the movement's momentum and power. White vegans need to recognize their privilege. They need to learn when to shut the hell up as well as when to speak up for others. White vegans need to amplify the voices of BIPOC vegans, follow BIPOC vegans, share their content, Feature more vegans of color in every aspect of the movement. Vegans of color need to be at the forefront of the movement and not just in like a cosmetic diversity or tokenism type of way. They need to be at the forefront of the movement. Support BIPOC vegans financially. Venmo them when they pop up saying, hey, Venmo me for the work that I'm doing. Do it. Buy from BIPOC vegan brands and companies. I'm going to leave a list of BIPOC influencers. I'm using the term influencers because, you know... That's just, I guess, what maybe most people understand. But like BIPOC Instagram accounts and YouTube accounts and all that kind of stuff, I'm going to be leaving a list of those. I'm also going to be leaving a list of BIPOC vegan brands and companies that you can support in the show notes. The show notes are at kristenpoundcom slash podcast. Find this episode. Everything will be listed there. So please go there. Scroll through things. Follow BIPOC vegans. Respect their spaces. Respect their spaces. White vegans need to be advocating for the eradication of food deserts, food swamps, food mirages, etc., food apartheid in BIPOC communities. Advocate for people's rights to fresh, nutritious, and affordable food. Support community gardens. Volunteer where you can and when you can. We need to be showing up for BIPOC. And not just in the vegan sense, in the vegan community. We should be attending protests, we should be attending community meetings, any other social justice events that BIPOC organize or are centered around. We need to support calls for ending police brutality and murder. Call out anti-blackness and call out anti-racism, cultural appropriation when you see it. Acknowledge the role that BIPOC have had in creating your favorite foods. Do your research so you can respect the culture and country of the recipes you enjoy. Not just the continent, but the country. Check to see if what you're about to buy meets your standards and the standards that you claim to have. Use your damn smartphone. Like, is this actually cruelty-free or ethical? Do I feel good buying this? Educate yourself on the ways that our food system perpetuates white supremacy. If we truly want to end all forms of oppression, including animal oppression, we have to dismantle white supremacy. We have to advocate for equality and justice for black lives. We have to respect black lives. Regardless of gender or ability or sex or sexual orientation, we have to respect black lives. We have to respect their spaces. Stay in your lane. Focus on your own community. Stop trying to force or shame BIPOC into going vegan. Give them the space to care for themselves and live their own lives instead of pressuring them to join veganism that, as of now, doesn't really give give to a shit about them. Like, it doesn't seem to give a shit about them. Recognize that different communities experience veganism differently. It's not all about white veganism. It's not all about your privileged white veganism. Therefore, make sure that BIPOC vegans lead on their own issues. Don't head into a BIPOC community and be like, listen to me, I have all the answers. That is another form of white saviorism. Make sure that they lead on their own issues and support vegans of color working in their own communities. Again, whether that's monetarily or by sharing information about what they're doing, support vegans of color. And we must challenge our most exploitative system, capitalism. The hyper-focus on individualism that capitalism has produced has made us believe that organizing and creating starting revolutions is not the answer, but it is. We will never be able to just consume our way to a better or more just world because only a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of consumption is actually done by individuals. So yeah, what you're doing by changing what you're eating on your plate makes a difference. You're killing less animals. But the majority of spending and consumption is done by industry, agribusiness, the military, governments, big corporations. And under capitalism, including vegan capitalism, the myth of this consumer who can, who can again make a change by voting with their dollar is just going to live on because that's what they want you to think. They want you to think that you what you do as an individual is going to make a huge difference. But real change can only come through policy change. So get involved in politics, get involved in politics, not getting involved in politics. Again, I'm just not into politics is a privilege. Remember, food is political. Food is political. So many people don't think that what they're eating is political, political, but it is. The ways in which our food is produced, controlled, inspected, regulated, consumed, distributed, all of it, all of it has to do with systems of power and systems of oppression. It's political. Whether you think it is or not, food is political. And our veganism must be anti-racist. It must be anti-imperialist, anti-colonial, anti-patriarchy. It must be. If we want the liberation of all animals to be a reality, then we have to be against racism, imperialism, colonialism, the patriarchy. Staying silent means choosing the side of the oppressors. If you have a platform of any kind, which most of us do, use it. And again, support BIPOC vegans. Support BIPOC vegans. Support BIPOC vegans. Support BIPOC vegans. Go support. Go follow. Go listen. Go learn. There's so much to learn. There's so much to learn and stay open-minded. You know, this may be a jumping off point for a lot of you to even understand that this stuff is interconnected. So continue your education, continue your research, because it's, it really is not just a listen to this episode and you're done. This, this is work that needs to be continued and really should never end until all, all forms of repression have been dismantled. So that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I feel like I was holding my breath pretty much the entire time. It's really heavy stuff to work through and to think about. So um, take the time to process and start getting to work buy vegan cookbooks and books by black authors i'll be leaving a list of those i'll be leaving a list of businesses and movements that are leading the change Um, look into these figure out how you can help vegans for black lives matter is one there's women funders and animal rights Uh, there's so many companies and movements that are starting to lead the change so get involved support black owned restaurants support black owned companies food cosmetics clothing jewelry i'll be leaving lists of all of these take the time, do the work. It is so important, y'all. It is so important. So I hope you liked this episode. I really do. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something from it. Um, If you have any questions about anything that I talked about, feel free to reach out to me. Again, feel free to call me out if I said something that was incorrect or said something in a way that was offensive or hurtful or just not fully cor- whatever just feel free to call me out find me on Instagram um find me you can email me whatever works for you let me know what you thought about this episode i'll be posting little snippets of it and stuff like that on on the how to vegan podcast instagram account so please come let me know what you thought about the episode i'm super curious if you learned anything from it if you already knew everything if there's stuff that i missed I know there's going to be stuff that I missed. And, and yeah, even talking about it and reading through the episode notes just then while I was recording the episode, I was like, oh, I'm forgetting stuff. I know it. But um, I wanted to get it out there. I, I was putting it off and putting it off because I was like, I I want it to be perfect. And it just never was going to be perfect. And who cares if it's perfect or not? You know, the, it's out there. The conversation can be started. And that is that is what needs to be happening. So thanks again for listening. Um, If you liked this episode, share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it as well. Um, Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast if you want to be updated and notified when there's new episodes available. Make sure your auto downloads are on so you can listen to it whether you're in service or not. I think that's all. I think I'm going to end the episode here. So thanks again. Oh, if you want to Venmo me at Kristen Emily, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, Just put BLM or vegans for BLM in the description of the Venmo transaction and I will donate any and all money to appropriate organizations. So And I'll be very transparent about it as well. So um, thanks so much for listening. Y'all are the best. Um, Have a great rest of your day. And I will just catch you in the next episode of the How to Vegan Podcast. Bye.